Thank you so much, Caleb and Aaron, for leading us in worship today. Our children are staying with us this day. It's uh, one of those five Sunday months, so they're staying with us the entire time. And I want to invite the kids to come up just now for a, a moment or two. Uh, so come on up here if you're one of the children that are here with us today. Just have a seat right along there anywhere is fine. Good to have you guys all up here with us. All right. Everybody find a place. Any other kids around? Somebody else is still coming. Come on up. Okay. Uh, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> How many of you know some songs or rhymes that you do something with your hands while you're doing those? You know, you're doing like a finger play or something. Probably you learned some of those when you were little, little ones, younger than you guys. You, so you already know all these things. How many of you know that one that's about the church that starts out like this? Everybody do that? Get your fingers together like that? Probably done this in kids' church or somewhere. Everybody get your fingers interlocked like that, okay? And it goes like this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. You seen that? How many of you didn't know that before? Some of you? Okay. I've known this since I was probably four years old or something. That's just been a little while ago. And uh, this is how it goes. You put your fingers together and you go like this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. So you put up the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Okay. So I want to talk with you about that for just a moment this morning. Here we are in the church today and here's all the people in here. Do you know that the building is not the church? Did you know that? You know, this, this building is not the church. The people are the church. The people of the church are the church. And so we have a, a nice building. We have a nice facility. We try and improve it, make it better, make it more comfortable and whatever. But the church is not the building. And when we think of the, the church as a building, now we can only go to church. But what God wants us to do is to be the church. There's a big difference, isn't there? If we're the church, the people of the church, that means you guys are the church. Your parents or grandparents are the church. Everybody in this room today that believes in Christ is part of the church. And so God has called us to be the church, not just to sit inside a building and keep the church going, but to go out of the building and to be able to share his love with other people. You know, we are the body of Christ. That's another name for the church. We are actually the body of Christ. He's the head of the body, but we're all part of it. We might be a hand, we might be a leg, we might be a foot, we might do this or that in the church, but we are all part of the body of Christ. So in the world, we are Christ doing Christ's ministry. We are the hands of Christ. We're the mouth of Christ telling the good news. We're the feet of Christ going to wherever people are so that they can know about Jesus. And so I want you to really remember that while we may do something like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and see all the people, that the people are the church. So I'd like you to do that with me, but we're going to add another verse. I'll tell you what the verse is. The verse goes like this. I am the church and so are you. Open the doors and see what God can do. 
Okay. So let's add that verse in. I know you don't know all this stuff, but let's, let's do it together. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. I am the church, and so are you. Let's open the doors and see what God can do. Okay. Thank you all. Would you go back to your seat, please? This morning, I want to talk about myths. Myths. Myths in the world. You know what myths are, right? They're false perceptions of reality. Myths are ideas that people have, that they live by, but they're not accurate ideas. A myth is a false concept that people may have about anything. It could be all kinds of topics. The way to correct a myth, the way to correct a false perception is what? Is to give people the truth. When they know the truth, then the myth can be changed, the myth can be uh, put away, and now they can live by the truth instead of some other idea that was a false idea. Now, what I've noticed, and probably what you notice, that people don't always want the truth. <laughs> people just rather hang on to the myth, you know, because it's more comfortable or, or more pleasing or whatever. But the way we are to live is to live by the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there are myths about the church, and we've been going through this series called Dare to Believe, and today I want you to dare to believe that church is good. It's good for you, it's good for God, and for God's kingdom. And so I want us to think about these myths today in the church. Let's pray together as we get into the Word of God. Thank you, God, for this time that we can get to your Word. We know that it's so important for us to study. We know it's so important for us to, to work together, to, to mutually uh, share in your word, learn from your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes this possible, has given us the word, given us the opportunity to study that word and to know you better. And I pray today that your truth would be evident, that your truth would just shine forth today. And these myths that sometimes we just accept uh, can be dispelled and we can live and walk by the truth. Um, we pray for your blessing on this time in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are myths about the church that per, uh, persist today, false ideas, but they still persist. What we too often discover is that people, uh, their view of the church is thinking that the church is about them. You know, churches for me, churches so that I could be pleased, so that I could find something there and be there. And I don't want you to get that, that false impression right off the bat when I say, dare to believe that church is good for you. Uh, because it is good for you, but there's more to that than just that story. Uh, people look at churches and they decide whether they want to be part of a certain church or not. They decide whether they'll come back after that first visit. And sometimes you'll hear people say things like, well, you know, that preacher there is boring, or the music's too loud, or the music is not my style, or the youth group is not very strong there, or the children's ministry is not what I could find somewhere else. And so they move on through and try different places, different options are available to them, and it becomes about them what they can find, what they can receive. Now, this confusion is understandable because church is for our benefit. And in fact, my title says, Dare to Believe that Church is Good for You. But sometimes we think church is all about us, and there's a difference. It's for our benefit, but it's not all about us. Church is for our benefit so that we can glorify God better, so that we can grow in our faith better, so that we can have a stronger witness for Christ 
out in the world. And there's a big difference when we say the church is good for you. Why? So that we can glorify God. The church was created so that we can honor and glorify God, please God. It's not about honoring and glorifying and pleasing ourselves. So let's look at some common myths that are evident in our world today. First of all, myth number one, that the church is a building. I've already talked about that. I hope you're listening when we're talking with the kids about it. I said the church is not the building. The church is the people. Hey, you were listening. That's good. You get credit for that today. To the degree that we associate buildings with the church, we are dehumanizing the church. We're taking away, you know, fundamental element of that church. We make it a location, or we make it something isolated from the community. We make it a company rather than a community. We make it an organization rather than an organism that is living and breathing, and Jesus is moving in that church. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus didn't die for buildings. He died for people. And so he, he doesn't really care that much about our facility. He cares about the people that meet here, the people that fellowship here and grow and then serve out in the community. And we must be careful that while we have to keep up the building and we have to make it presentable, we have to make it inviting and all these different things, that we not spend all of our time making the building nicer because the hearts and souls of people are far more important than brick and mortar, right? Everybody can give an amen to that. The church is not a building. The building we have is only a tool for the church to use for God's mission, the church's people. Second myth, that the church is a human organization. Now, in this false idea of the church, the church is just one of many, many human organizations in the world. It's no better, no worse than scores of other helpful organizations like maybe the Red Cross or Save the Child or you name it. But this is not true. This church, the church, has a different origin. This is an idea that Jesus had. This is an idea that comes directly from the Son of God. It was Jesus' express plan for accomplishing his mission in the world. If we go back to Matthew 16... Some of you know there that Jesus approached his disciples and he asked them, you know, who do people say that I am? And they gave him different answers about different prophets and maybe, you know, John the Baptist come back to life or whatever. And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Remember, Peter answered. What did he say? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And remember how Jesus reacted to that. He said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. God's letting you in on something here. And I tell you that you are Peter, the rock. And on this rock of what you've stated, of this confession, I will build my church, Jesus said. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus laid claim to the church before there was a church. Jesus said, I have an idea. An idea that I'm going to implement when I leave this earth. And it's going to be through these apostles who were sitting around his feet right then. And even before there was a church, Jesus is saying, I will build my church and it will be triumphant. It will be victorious. It was of divine origin. It is God's intent. It is God's desire. And only the church of Jesus Christ Christ can defeat the powers of hell. That is God's design. 
not a human organization. It is divine in its origin. It was founded by, it was empowered by, it is led by Jesus to this very day. It is his church, not a human organization. It belongs to Jesus. Let's go to myth number three. The church is a spiritual supermarket. <laughs> in other words, the church offers many things to many people, great variety. Like you go into our supermarket, you go into Harris Teeter, you can't believe the number of items they have on the shelves there. People from other countries come and say, I've never seen a place like this before. And some people look at the church as a thing of, of commodities and wares and goods and, and, and services that can be provided to many different people. And the larger church gets, the more things you ought to offer. And small churches just sometimes feel really hindered because you were trying to offer all these things to people and there's hardly enough people to make this happen. This puts church going into this consumer mindset then that is false. This is a myth. This is not reality. This is very unfortunate that in our world today, particularly in America today, people are looking at church as consumers. I'll go here because they offer this. I'll go there because they offer that. I really like what they do here, so I'll keep fellowshipping with that church because of what I receive, a benefit that I get directly from going there. Arthur Boer wrote, he said, I often visit newcomers in town and find them to be church shopping. We've heard that term. They want to know what they can get out of church. Others, churches are just one more consumer commodity. Worship services are not a place for us to serve God and neighbor, but a place where people expect to purchase the best. Inspiring worship, good music, moving sermons, quality child care, and the list could go on and on. And then he says, it's as if we buy God and not vice versa. That's what got me. As if we buy God instead of God having purchased us with the blood of Christ. If we think of church as a spiritual supermarket, we go to a particular church because we can best be served there. We go to a particular church in order to have our needs met. We go to a particular church to make sure that what we like is what we get. And if they don't get give us what we want, we'll just go down the street. Because in America, there's a lot of other churches to choose from. This myth makes everything backwards, doesn't it? Backwards to what Jesus created his church to be. It is not about us, it is about him. And it's about his mission. The first three myths then all lead, I think, in my mind, to the fourth myth, which is this. The church is unnecessary for living the Christian faith. It's just optional. We don't need to meet together like we do. We don't need to worship together, fellowship together, study the word of God together, pray together. Church is optional. It's a human thing, after all. It's just to meet my needs, and if I can get them met in other ways, in other places, by myself, it's okay. And we may say, and I've heard people say this, I can read my Bible at home. I can do that any place I want to go. I hope you do read your Bible at home. I hope you read it wherever else you go. Someone else may say, I can just go it alone as a Christian. I can be a Lone Ranger Christian. After all, that would be a lot easier, less costly, less time-consuming, less messy than trying to get along with all the other Christians and be in the church where there are problems. Someone will say, I don't even like everybody at church. <laughs> 
And some of the people there have problems that bring me down. I can worship God better outdoors at the lake or maybe up in the mountains somewhere. And when church is just a building, when church is just a human organization and all about us, then church is optional. But that's not church. Those are myths about church. That is a great misunderstanding, a false perception. The first century church discovered that they needed each other. The first church knew what this was about. They didn't understand at all, but they knew they had been drawn together. They'd been drawn together because of a common decision that Jesus was Lord of their life. And they discovered that gathering together in the church together gave them in, uh, uh, something in order to grow, uh, something that they needed, that they, they needed the fellowship, they needed the study, they needed the prayer, they needed the interaction if they were going to accomplish the mission that they had been given. And so we read passages like in Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so we can see how they devoted themselves to the things that were essential, things that were important to their life as believers. The apostles' teaching, teaching directly from God, to fellowship, their shared life in Christ, further explained in Acts 4, which we're going to read in a minute, to the breaking of bread, which we've had this morning in, in the communion, worshiping through the Lord's Supper, so that they could be spiritually refreshed and, and reflect on their lives and be renewed, to prayer, to sincere, constant dependence, dependence on God for everything. You see, the first believers had been given a new life in Jesus Christ, and they wanted to hold on to that. They needed the church that Jesus had given them in order to live the new life they had been given, and they could not go back to their old ways. They needed to learn how to live for Jesus every day for the rest of their lives. So they joined together with other believers on a regular basis, even daily. Acts 4, verses 32 through 35 says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. The early church was unified. The early church was united. They were of one heart and of one soul. And they had such an incredible fellowship that they shared their lives and even their material goods with each other. And God's grace flowed freely in the church, in the body of Christ, as they testified to Jesus' resurrection 
to the power as they served each other's needs. You see, see these dynamics going on in the early church that are of, of supernatural origin and supernatural power. And the reason the church is missing some of those things today, missing some of that dynamic that it should have, is because we've made it about us. And we are neglecting the fellowship. And we were taking it as optional. I can go today, I can stay home next week, it's okay. I'll go once a month, I'll go once every three months, whatever the idea or attitude may be. Jesus created his church so that we would keep growing in the Lord and we would keep accomplishing. Why is church good for us? We could just give a whole list of reasons. Off the top of my head, I thought of several things. What did God give us? What did God provide us when he made the church? Well, he gave us refuge. Well, don't we need a place of safety, a place of retreat? He gave us fellowship, sharing of life together. Sharing experiences, good or bad or ugly. He gave us devotion to the same mission together. To work alongside with others to build the kingdom of God and to bring Jesus' love to lost people everywhere. He gave us encouragement. He gave us support. He gave us accountability to one another. Now let's talk about that accountability for just a moment because that's a dirty word today. That's the word people don't want to talk about, that I'm accountable for my actions. I don't want to admit that. I don't want that to be, be there. It's very unpopular to talk about accountability in our world. Our selfish, fleshly nature rejects out of hand the idea of accountability. I want to do what I want to do, and don't hold me accountable for it. I, 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 I don't need to hear that from you. I don't want your criticism. I don't want your condemnation. I don't want your judgment. I don't want... You'd even care. Let me do what I want to do. But God knows this is exactly what we need. So that we will grow and we will develop and we will mature. And we will stay on track as we follow Christ and as we accomplish his mission in the world. We need to submit to mutual accountability willingly. We need to to have a subscription to mutual accountability and say, That's the most important subscription of my life. We need to give permission to each other to hold one another accountable for our actions or maybe for our inactivity. Here's some of the things the Bible says. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Hold yourself accountable to others. James also says, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring them back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's pretty strong language. If you've got a brother that's slipping off the edge and you go and rescue him or her, you have saved them from death and covered over a multitude of sins. Paul told the believers in Galatia, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you may also be tempted, and carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is not casual fellowship, is it? This is not 
Let's talk about the weather today. Let's talk about our favorite sports teams today. This goes deeper. This goes into the dark places of another brother or sister's life. Things that they were not willing to talk about before, but now uh, you have confronted them in mutual accountability. And you have said, you know, I really care about this. I haven't seen you, you know, at church for name the number of weeks. Or I haven't, you know, seen, you know, the strength of your witness. And I'm struggling. Can you help me? You know, there's confession. There's prayer. There's accountability back and forth. 1 Corinthians 12 says that the church is the body of Christ. It doesn't say we're like the body of Christ. It says we are the body of Christ. There is a connection that has been made through Jesus, the head of the body. He has us as his hands and his mouth and his feet as he talked with the children. He has no hands except our hands. He has no mouth except our mouths. He has no feet except our feet to take the good news. Everywhere we go. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says this. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an ear, uh, an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the body, the whole body, were an eye, where would this sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You know, if you're the hand and you're not there, the body's missing a hand. If you're the mouth, and you're missing. Church can't speak the way it should speak. The body of Christ is suffering. And when we see part of the body that is missing, that is deliberately neglecting, that is just avoiding, that is not coming through as they should, we know that they're hurting. We know that they're suffering. We know that for some reason they, they're drifting. And the church needs to go and call them back. The brother or sister that Christ None of us is complete in and of ourselves. We are all simply parts of the body, and we all need Jesus, the head of the body, and we need each other in order to be the body of Christ. So Paul's describing here our interdependence. We cannot do this alone. We must do this together. No part by itself is the body. Every part needs the rest of the body. So what's the bottom line? We are in this together. Good or bad or ugly, we're in this together. We're part of the same body. We've been put here by Christ. He has chosen us. He has gifted us. And what we are and what we can do together is so much more, so much better than what we could do or what we are separately or individually. Haven't you seen people that said, I'll just be a Christian. I don't need church. How strong is their witness? How long do they hold on to their faith? I've seen many times when people said that. I've never seen a strong witness follow that. I've never seen a strong result from that. The church needs to uh, spell these myths that are so popular today. You ever wake up on a Sunday and think, 
I'm so tired. It's been an exhausting week. I think I'll just sleep in today. Ever have that thought? I actually had that thought today. It was a really bad thought. I thought, yesterday was horrendous. I was exhausted. I don't even want to go to church. What are you talking about? You're going to preach about the church today. Those thoughts come to our minds. Do you ever have the same thoughts when it's time to get up and go to the gym and exercise? You bet I do. I think you do, too. If you're, if you're honest about it, nobody just goes to the gym excitedly. Nobody goes to the gym, you know, saying, this is going to be so fun. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to sweat a bunch. It's going to be miserable, but it's going to be fun. And that's not how you look at it. It's the same idea. We have to remember that the benefits that we receive from these things are much greater than the discipline required to get up and go. I'm not saying that church is all drudgery and it's hard work and a lot of sweat, although it has all of those things. I'm saying that it takes discipline, it takes a desire. No one has ever gotten stronger, no one has ever gotten wiser by giving in to their laziness or to their lack of discipline. So church is good for you, like exercising at the gym is good for you. Because something grows, something gets healthier, and you can do more for Christ when you are growing and when you are functioning as a strong believer. It is not easy to give. It is not easy to serve. It is not easy to sacrifice. But we don't do these things because they're easy. We do them because the Lord has commanded them, and they're the right thing to do. And guess what? The benefits, the results follow when we do what Christ commands us to do. I want to dare you this morning to believe that church is good for you. And I want you to believe that church is good for you because it's good for God. Because in the end, we are much stronger and we are able to accomplish the mission of Christ much greater ways. Because we've not neglected the fellowship and we have not uh, you know, sunk down to a level where we're just barely making it. But we are strong in our faith and we are growing. When church is no longer about us, we will be much happier to participate. And we need today a change of attitude. I hope today you've thought a little bit and thought, you know, my attitude hasn't been exactly right lately. I've been a consumer. I've been critical. I've been neglecting. I've been thinking of church as optional. You know, if I get there every once in a while, that's okay. And, and it's not just about attending church. This is about growing in Christ. Dare to believe that church is good for you. You'll be glad you did. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we could come to your word today. You've reminded us so carefully, so eloquently, why the church is important to us. The early church didn't have everything right, but they knew that they had to hold on to Jesus, and they had to hold on to each other if they were going to ever grow, if they were going to accomplish your mission. The mission was, was frightening. The mission was, was uh, overwhelming, but they knew that if they hung on to you and to each other, that Jesus would give them success. We thank you for this church, New Hope Christian Church. We thank you for all that 
that goes on here, not just in this place, but through the people of this church, that we are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the Lord. We are the church. And we're not going to stay in these walls. We're not going to hide behind our fortress. But we're going to open the doors and see what you can do, Lord. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thankfully, God gives grace. You may uh, feel chagrined and embarrassed sometimes what you do, where you've gone, who you've been with, how you thought. Jesus can take you right where you are if there's a willingness, if there's an availability, if there's a desire that he would take your life and with his grace make you something that you would never be on your own, so much greater than you'd ever be on your own. And so we're going to sing together a song that is just simply come as you are. And uh, I want you to think about your relationship with the Lord as we do that. Would you stand with me, please? Let's continue worshiping him. <laughs>